Balance is important. All right? We're starting a series. Uh, or not starting, concluding. Actually, I should know where I'm at in this thing. We're concluding a series called Balance. And uh, balance is a weird thing because uh, we don't really think about it. We don't contemplate it. We don't really dwell on it. And we definitely don't appreciate it until we lose balance, until it's lost, until we fall. And on a physical level, like on YouTube, um, when some poor guy trips and knocks a bride into a pool of water, we laugh at those kind of things, right? And the reason we laugh at those things is because we are sick people, right? That's why we laugh, because we are sick. Um, and so balance is super important, but when it comes to balance in relationships, when it comes to balance in time and in schedule um, and in finances and in our spiritual life, a fall, if we lose balance, is what inevitably follows. And there's nothing funny when that happens. Truly, there's not. There's nothing funny about a kid who doesn't know their parent because their parent failed to balance their time and their schedule. There's nothing funny about food stamps when a couple is unable to or fails to balance their money or the money that God has given them. There's nothing funny about divorce when somebody fails or a spouse fails to um, balance the relationships in the workplace. And so when balance is lost, a fall is the cost, and unfortunately, um, Falling hurts, and we know that. We know that. And so that's why we decided to do this series. Um, the reason we're doing this series is we start in the first week talking about time and the idea of balancing the time that we have. We're all running pretty crazy, but in the midst of that, we need to step back and find a way to balance our schedules um, with God in priority. And then last week, um, Tom came up here, and Tom got to teach on um, the importance of balancing rest and the fact that that's actually a gift that God has given us and somehow it finds its way right out of our schedules right away and the value and the importance of rest. Today, we get to talk about the Mac Daddy of them all. We get to talk about balancing money, balancing our checkbooks, you know, having financial balance. And if you've been around for a couple of weeks, you've probably heard me say that I'm very excited to have this conversation. So let me now tell you why I'm excited to have this conversation. Because some of you who don't go to church very often, you're like, of course, the pastor gets to ask for money. So he's very excited. That is not it. Here's why I'm excited to have this conversation right here is because as a church, we are not in a place where we need you to give at this moment or else we're going to fold under. So often churches, when they talk about money, I know that there's a little underlining incentive like, oh man, people aren't giving, so we need to remind them to give. We as a church are in a healthy state. And so the fact that I can have this conversation with you about money and not having any thoughts in the back of my head of secondary motives of why I'm having this conversation, there's no desperation. We're not in a desperate place asking for money. The truth is I don't want anything from you today. Truly, what I want is something for you. And I can say that in all sincerity as we're walking through this because of the generosity of a handful of people inside of this place. And so we're going to talk about money today, and here's what I mean. Here's what's super important. This idea, talking about how we spend our money, is an incredibly, um, uh, like God is incredibly interested in this. It's a spiritual issue. And the reason it is, uh, um, he's interested is not because he needs your money. I want to say that very clearly. 
God does not need your money. If you were to open up God's word, you will find out that he is already loaded, okay? In Psalms 50, it says he owns cattle on a thousand hills. And then in Psalm 95, it says he owns those hills too, and the mountains that goes with them. In Haggai, it talks about the fact that he owns all the silver and all the gold. And in Revelation 21, he talks about that he uses gold as pavement in heaven. Okay, so he created everything and he owns everything. So God doesn't want, you know, he's got, he's got plenty of money and he's not asking for it. He's got plenty of Benjamins. In fact, he created Benjamin Franklin, who's on the $100 bill. So he's got it all. He has that all. What he's doing is he's interested in money for this reason. It's because he knows that what we do, like when it comes to money, it's like our money is an indication, what we do with it, of where we're at here, where we're at in our heart. The greatest way to see into our hearts is through our checking account. That's what Jesus says. The primary way to know how a person's doing in their heart is to look at their bank statement. He said it like this. He said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And so God's not after your money. He is after your heart. And just so that we're crystal clear, me speaking today, there's no motivation that we're after your money. We are truly after your heart because that's what God wants to be about. And so that's what we're doing. In fact, Jesus, catch this, talked more about money in his word than he did about heaven. And in this church, we talk about heaven a whole lot, right? but we've not yet talked about money. In nine months, we have not talked about money, but we get to today. And so that's why I'm excited. All right, but we're gonna start off with a comic because I think this illustrates us perfectly or the majority of us. Here's what it says. It says, well, Chuck, when I baptize you, everything that goes under belongs to God. <laughs> There's some truth in that, is there not? For a lot of us, the, the, the last thing that we want to give to God is our money. And if we're honest, many of us have lost footing. We've even lost balance when it comes to our personal finances. And as a result, what happens is that we stress a lot about money. And what Paul says in his word is that we don't have to stress about money. We don't have to stress about that. In fact, here's what he says. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse brings me a whole lot of comfort, especially for the fact that we just bought a house literally this week. It's done, right? And now I have no money, so I need God to provide all my needs in this moment. And, and a lot of times we stress about money, and he's saying you don't have to stress about money. I don't have to stress about money. You don't have to stress about money. And that is good news because if we trust God and we hold on to his promises, we can find balance financially. And so here's how I want to do this. I would like to, the, I think the best way that we can do this to understand financial balance is to understand the three laws that there are in physical balance. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to explain these three laws and see how they apply to us financially. So let me give you the three laws that we have in financial balance. Number one is this, is to balance something physically you need to have a reference point. Right there, I am looking at this symbol. The moment I take my eyes off it is when it gets difficult, right? If I were to look at something else, look at you guys, look at my hand, something like that, I really lose track of where this is at. And so I lose balance. Cheerleaders, 
right? Professional cheerleaders, when they stack themselves like 42 girls high, right? And the one that's on the top, just so that you know, the instruction that they're given is to find a stationary point across the room and zoom in on it. And so when they get to the top, they look there, and because they do that, they can remain balanced. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you the reference point, what I think God's reference point is for all of our lives when it comes to money. Okay? Worth coming for? Cool. All right, first one, reference point. That's the first law. The second law is the law of being able to have constant corrections. So my hand, in order to keep this balance, has to be able to move backwards, forwards, left, right, so I can compensate for what's actually happening here. The moment that I hold my hand still is the moment that it falls. So you have to have the ability to, to make course correct corrections along the way. We do this naturally. If you've ever walked across a log, like if you're crossing over a river or something, what is the first thing that you do when you walk across a log? Exactly. You put your hands out because you need to balance in that way. You don't want to fall in, so you have to compensate for the way that your weight is shifting. If you've ever been pulled over by the police and, uh, and, and unfortunately draws that white chalk line or he, he takes you to the white line and he says, I want you to walk this, and you're like, yes, I'm up for the challenge. I can do this. And you walk over there and you put your head down and you put your hands out. And I'm just telling you, if you have to put your hands out to walk the white chalk line, you might as well just get in the back of the car with the German Shepherd because it's over at that point. But naturally, we do this, right? We balance left to right. We have to make course corrections. And so we make constant corrections. That's the second law of physical balance. And the last one is, is a clear objective. My objective right now is to keep this pole vertical, all right, what am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to accomplish? What am I trying to do? If we don't have that crystal clear, then we will find ourselves falling out of balance if we get our mind going in another direction. So we need to have a clear objective. So those are the three things, a reference point, constant corrections, and a clear objective. And I think if we can weave those physical laws of balance into our financial situation, we will find financial balance. Now, before I jump in and break each one of those three things down, what I want to do is I want to tell you about the trap, kind of the difference between physical balance and financial balance. Here it is. What happens when I'm balancing this and I break one of the three laws of physical balance? Let's say I look away. Pretty much immediately, what happens? I lose balance. It, it falls. It starts, the pole goes down. If I don't make course corrections and I just hold still, it falls. It goes down. This is the trap with financial balance. What happens when you break one of these three laws, when you are doing, dealing with finances? What happens immediately? Nothing. Nothing happens immediately. And so what happens is we don't react to it right away. Because like credit cards, we could be upside down, out of balance, and we wouldn't know the difference because um, it doesn't happen immediately. So we don't react. And the next thing we know is we're buried and we're upside down in debt and we're falling apart and we're stressed out about money because we didn't see, the, the, we didn't notice it at the time. And because we didn't imply those three laws, all of a sudden we're out of balance financially. So it's a scary situation to be in. And so let me walk through those three, um, those three laws. And let's start with the first one, reference point. Here's what the reference point is. I pointed to it. This is super important. You want to write this one down. The first law is this. We got to be knowing where our money is going. 
I put it in that way so hopefully you will remember. We have got to be knowing where our money is going. Proverbs 27, 23 says this, Know well the conditions of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. Now, obviously, farming is not our forte, right? Not very many of us are out there farming. Uh, maybe you were in 2010 with Farmville, but other than that, most of us are not out there farming. But back then, when this verse was written, flocks and herds was what was a representation of our investments or their investments. And so what God is saying through this verse is he's asking us to know the condition of our investments, to know the condition of where we are financially. And this is huge. And you want to know why it's huge? Don't miss this point. Because it's not our money. It is not our money. We are stewards. God owns every single thing. And so, so and it says it right here, Proverbs 21.1, or 24.1, it says, everything is God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Friends, we are simply managing God's abundant wealth. That's what we are doing. And if we are abund- uh, like managing somebody else's money, we better be dang sure that we know where it's going. For example, if I were to have or you were to have a financial planner, think about this, and you were to sit down with your financial planner, and this is wants to know the, the conditions and the state of all your accounts, and you ask him, where am I at financially? And he says, you know what? I'm really not a very organized person, but I've tried really, really hard. But it seems like your money is, right? And the moment that he says, it seems like I'm getting myself a new financial planner. Because the financial planner should know the condition of your accounts. They should know where your money is. It's the same thing with God. We got to be knowing where his money is going. His money is going, because it is his money. And how can we be good stewards of God's money if we do not know where it is going? And so let's get very practical, very practical. Um, Here's what we got to do. We got to track it. We have to track where our money is being spent. And if you haven't done this yet, if you haven't put a system together, I would strongly suggest that you would put a system together and track where your money, where God's money is going. That means simply this, that you need to account for every transaction that you have, that if, if you make a transaction, then you need to know the, what you bought, the date that you bought it, and how much it was, so that you can understand in a full scope where this money is going, right? There's different ways you can do this. Um, for years, I've used Excel, and the problem is I just love programming cells, so I'm kind of geeky like that, but it's a little complicated. But there's Quicken, there's QuickBooks, um, you can get the app called Mint. It doesn't matter what system you use. What really, really matters is that you put a system in place and you track where your money is going. Now, just about every time I have said that, there's always someone, and it's typically a guy, who would say, why do I need to track it when at the end of every month the bank gives me a statement? That is the bank taking care of your money. And they do a pretty good job of that, right? But there have been actually, believe it or not, there have been times I have noticed the bank has made mistakes in our tracking versus their tracking, and I lost money in the deal but then got it back. 
And so we got to be actively involved in that. And, and even though most of the guys who say that, they say it, and they've never looked at their bank statement at the end of the month and found out which itemized and what was spent where and where did that go. And so here's my challenge for us, truly. My challenge for you in the next month is that you would spy on your money. Like, make it a game. You're going to spy on your money. You're going to find out in one month where is it going. You're going to track it and find out what you're spending the majority of your money on. One month is a small increment of time. But, I mean, if you do this longer, it will tell you a whole lot. For me personally, I was challenged in this very thing 22 years ago was when I was challenged in it for the first time. And when I heard it, like you probably have right now, you thought that is ridiculous and complete overkill. That is a lot of, lot of time wasted. And, um, and so what happened is I've been doing this for 22 years. About 12 years ago, my wife jumped in on, you know, we got married. Someone actually married me. It was pretty cool, right? <laughs> I can't believe you're clapping for that. Stop that. <laughs> and so my wife jumped in, and we now have been doing this together. So every receipt that we grab, we'll, like when we go out and we buy something, we grab a receipt. And then once a month, we check off on this and we do like a budget meeting um, is what we have been doing. And for 12 years of our marriage, I want you to hear this, we have never had a major fight about money. And the reason we haven't is because we are so godly, okay? <laughs> Not at all. Here's why. We have never had a major fight about money. Catch this is because there are no secrets when it comes to where our money is going. I know where it's going. She knows where it's going. We know where our money is going because we track it. And I'll tell you this. You'd be shocked to see where your money actually goes if you were to spy on it. For example, for my wife, one year when we got this together and we got all the way done at the end of the year, there was a... There was a, a, a section where I had outspent more money than her, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but it was in clothes, all right? So she, I actually spent more money on clothes than my wife did. And if you were to try to convince me that year that I was spending more money on clothes than my wife, I would not have believed you. There was no way you could do that. But yet it was right there in black and white. I had bought like a suit that year or something like that, and it just went way up. And so I did, and I would never have known that. I would have never known where our money was going, and you make adjustments accordingly, right? Oh my gosh, I spend way too much eating out. I need to pull back on that, or I spend way too much spending on this. We have to be knowing where our money is going, and in order to do that, we have to have a proper reference point so that we can be good stewards. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the first one. We gotta have a proper reference point, and we gotta keep our eyes focused on that. The second one is course corrections, right? We got to have the ability to, um, to, 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 like, uh, to make constant corrections. And so, because the moment that we stop is the moment that it falls. It happens literally immediately. I stop moving my hand, and then all of a sudden, it falls. So we got to be able to make constant corrections, because oftentimes, most of us, this is where it gets real, we feel strapped when it comes to our finances. We feel constrained, and we have no ability to adjust. And so, Financial balance is constantly falling inside of our lives. And most often, that is due to a lack of planned margin, okay? So, for example, if a bill comes and you have no margin, you have no ability to make course corrections, then all of a sudden, the stress level in your house goes way up. 
If, you, um, if you, your car breaks down and you got to fix something or a kid gets hurt, the pull immediately falls and we are out of balance. Proverbs says this. It says, a wise man thinks ahead and a, f- a fool doesn't and even brags about it. See, we live in a culture that brags and boasts about taking things to the limit, live in the extreme, right? We want to go to the edge. This is where credit cards, keeping up with the Kardashians, having it bigger and better and in 4K come into play, and we squeeze out margin. Please hear me. This is not how God wants us to live. This is not his best. His best is not saying, I make X amount of dollars, so I'm going to spend X amount of dollars right here, and maybe just a little bit more because I can. And at some point, you start to find yourself out of balance at that sense. So what God is saying is what he wants for us is he wants margin. He wants us to create intentional margin in our lives and in our lives financially. Margin is this. It is the amount available beyond what's actually needed. It is the extra, the reserves. When it comes to margin, God created it. And we, we love it. We need it. We crave it. I know you know this because imagine if you were to read a book that didn't have any margins. How weird would that be, right? You, you can't see, like open it in the crack because there's no margins. We desire margins. If you were to go on roads, right? If they were to, like, we have margin on roads. It's on the other side of the white line. And we thank God for that margin. But imagine if the the roads were literally the exact same size as your car. How stressful would that be to actually drive around? When you get on a plane, right, what is it that we want more than anything when we're on the plane? We want to be in first class. Why? Because they have margin, right? They have room for their feet. They have room for their hands. We want margin. When you have conversations, there are a few individuals who don't know about margin, and they come up, and they talk to you here, and they're right here, and you're like, wow, they're close, and so you step back, and then they step again, right, and you step back again, and now you're out of space, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about you, okay, (laughs) and so no, there needs to be margin in conversations, We desire margin, we crave margin, we need margin, but for some reason, this is huge, we have a tendency to live without margin in our personal finances. We seem to go right to the limit. I spend this much money, and so I make this much money, so I'm going to spend this much money. Margin means you make X, and I'm going to spend Y underneath here. I'm going to live under my means. Now, let me give you the great lie in this. The great lie is that most people believe that income is the problem. That if I just made a little bit more money, everything would be okay. And the reason that's a lie, I can prove it to you. Here's how I know. When you were 18 years old, you are making more money now than you did when you were 18 years old. Right? So you have more income, and yet you're probably more stressed about money now than you have ever been before. So it's not a matter of income. Hear me on that. The problem isn't income. It is lifestyle. It is lifestyle. It is how we manage what God has already given us. And it's so crazy because we will pray in genuine sincerity for issues that are out there. We're like, God, please provide for this. I need you to provide for this. And we say that so many times. God, come through in this. I just need a little bit more. But think about it from God's perspective, right? He's like, I already gave you all that you need, 
and you spent it. You're driving around in it, you know? It's there. You have it. And, and yet we're like, oh, God, please give me just a little bit more. And we have the audacity to approach God and ask him for more when he already gave us everything that we already need. In most circumstances, hear this, it is, it, you probably have enough money. The problem is we just don't have enough margin. That's, that's the situation. And therefore, we don't have balance. Here's the good thing about margin. Okay, when you make X and you spend Y down here, here's the good thing that happens. Number one is it relieves stress. It truly does. You are less stressed about life because you have margin. So when that bill comes in, that unexpected car payment or, the, or, the, or that, that breakdown or a kid gets sick and you have these unexpected payments, you have the margin to be able to take care of that. When you don't, then all of a sudden your world falls apart because you're, how am I going to make rent? And so it lowers our stress level. The other thing it does, and I think this is even more important than lowering our stress level, is it frees us up to bless others. It truly does. Luke says this. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. So this is what Jesus said, and it is often retweeted. First came from Jesus' mouth, though. Here it is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do me a favor little participation. How many of you, by a raise of hands, would actually say that that is true or it has been true in your life, that it has been more blessed to give than it is to receive? Exactly. Almost everybody's hand goes up. Wait, you participate a lot more than first service. Well done. So this is margin. This is what margin does for us. And I know that most of you want to be generous, right? You just don't have the ability to. And the reason you don't have the ability to is because you don't have margin. And so when the Holy Spirit calls and impresses upon your heart that I want you to help with this person or provide this for them or help them with that, we're unable to do so because we're strapped with a lack of margin. But if you have margin and the Holy Spirit calls and says, I'd like you to help these people, or they put it on your heart, you have the ability to bless others. And in turn of blessing others, you actually get blessed yourself. I know this is your heart. I truly do. In fact, the reason I know it is because last week, you remember when Tom was here and he spoke? We actually sent Tom out church planting. We gave a little offering at the end, and that little offering turned into $9,200 that we actually sent to a church planter for a church our size, which is humongous. How amazing is that? So we want to bless people like that. We have been blessed as a church. So in turn, we want to bless others. You have been blessed. And the reason you're blessed is so that you can be a blessing. And so those are the first two laws. First one is reference point. Second one is constant corrections. Here's the third one. The third law is that we need to have a clear objective. A clear objective. We need to know what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to achieve, right? We should, and, and this is what should be the, the objective for our personal finances. I'll just throw it out there. The Bible makes it little, really clear, and then I'll unpack it. We are, because a lot of people actually think, catch this, they think that the goal of money is that I want to make as much as I possibly can so that I could spend as much as I possibly can, or I want security. I want to be able to have enough of a pad where I'm totally secure, and I don't even have to rely on God. That's not it. The objective of money is to honor God with it. That is it. It is to honor God. Look at what Proverbs 3 says. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth. And some of you are like, well, they're not talking about me. I'm not wealthy. Yes, you are wealthy. 15% of the world 
own cars, and some of us have more than one in our driveway. We are in the highest level of wealth in the entire world. And so we are to honor God with our wealth. And from the first of all your produce, this is saying we need to honor him not when it's convenient, not what's left over. We need to honor him first. So your barns, and then here's the promise, will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, they're going to give free wine in this? No. That means God will bless you. Let me paraphrase that whole entire thing. Here's what it is. When we honor God first, he provides us with plenty. When we honor God first, he provides us with plenty. This is so true in many areas of our life, but it's never more true than when it comes to our personal finances. That when we honor God first, he provides for us plentifully. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to not just share my story. I want to invite um, Lauren to come up. And uh, you may know Lauren. He's the most attractive person in the room. Um, But he's coming up here. So try to focus on what he's saying rather than his beautiful face. Okay? And so I know you love that each time I say that. Every time. So um, Lauren actually leads our finance team, and he has since the very, very beginning. And so I asked him, as some conversations that we've had of late and a while ago, uh, to share a little bit of his story when it comes to what does it mean to honor God first. So thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. And Katie wishes she was here, but uh, having the kids come through both services was going to be a little bit much. I got to confess, if you see me twitch, it's because last time I was up on the stage, he beat me with a pool noodle. So... um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope that doesn't happen again. Anyways, um, I got to be honest. It's a little bit humbling to be up here uh, as the finance guy of the church and to talk talk about a time when we weren't honoring God the way that we should have with our finances. So it was about a year and a half ago. I was in a funny spot. Um, I had just taken about a 30% decline on my income. There were some changes going on, whatever. Um, And I had just committed to be the finance guy for this new church that didn't even have a name. And uh, at the point, Jake and I uh, were talking on a day-to-day basis about different things, and because of this transition, because of the 30% uh, decline I had in my income, and because some debt that I want to take care of, I made the decision that we were going to cut our giving down. We actually cut it in half. And uh, Katie was her first service. She was against it. Um, but I was the one that had to balance that checkbook. That was kind of our our roles in this, and ultimately, that's what we ended up doing. So through those talks that Jake and I were having when we were trying to get this church launched, um, tithing came up as just a minor point to one of those conversations, and if you've ever had one of those surface-level talks where you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, that happened to me that day. I kept on thinking about this, and that that was the Holy Spirit correcting me Uh, So that night I went home, and I talked with Katie about what I felt like God was doing. I felt like he was telling me, Lauren, you're holding on to this, and it's it's actually making it worse. You're not honoring me with it. And when I talked with Katie, you know, she, she was already on board, but we decided to make things right and to view the money that we had as God's and not as ours and to give the way that we were called to give. Now, this next part of the story, you guys probably know where this is going. Um, Some of you may think it's coincidence. Some of you may chalk it up to hard work, or maybe if you know my wife because she's such a great person. 
Um, but a few months later, after we made that decision to fully honor God with our finances, I got invited back to our home office for uh, what's called a leadership assessment. And there, uh, they, they run you through all these tests, and they find out if you're someone that they view as a potential person for high-level leadership at Edward Jones. And um, apparently, I did well at that, because a few months later, um, I got invited to, uh, for a new leadership role called a regional leader, and that's where I oversee 50 branch teams here in Seattle. And looking back, I think it was way more than a coincidence. I think that it was God working through us and blessing us because we made that decision to honor him with our finances. And, and since that point, we've been able to see God continue those blessings for us and in so many other people around us. So in closing, I'd like to share with you um, something that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. It says, the one who called you is faithful. So thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, Lauren is a very humble man, um, but he got a huge, substantial um, change financially in his life, and I, I do not think in any sense of the way that that was a coincidence. God's hand is in this and through this, and if I might think that if that was the one isolated incidence that I heard it, but I've heard that story over and over and over again, that when somebody becomes faithful and puts God first and honors God first in their finances, God seems to bless them. Not always is it a money exchange. It's not just a transaction like, oh, I'm going to give 10%, and now, God, I better, you know, I better you know, open my arms up to receive more money. It's not always money. Sometimes it's a blessing financially. Sometimes it's a blessing relationally. Sometimes it's just a blessing um, in a different way that we would never expect but yet God comes through each way, and when you truly become faithful to him, he likes to show off in those ways. I think it's pretty darn cool. And so when we honor God first, he provides us with plenty. Now, I want to uh, talk a little bit about this one verse here. I wanna, it's the, probably the biggest verse. If you've ever had a talk about money, this is always the verse that the pastors go to. And what I like about it is this, is this is literally God talking straight to us. So he's talking to his people, and, and his, meaning his people, meaning us. And so hear this as if God is kind of talking to us. Malachi, here's what it says, Malachi 3. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my laws, meaning we've not obeyed him, and, not, and, and have not kept them. Return to me, and check out this promise, and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Which I think is a great question. But I love how God answers questions with a question, even when he's talking to himself on this, which is pretty cool. He says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? So then we ask again. But we ask, how do we rob you? And this is huge, and I still think this is so applicable today. How do we rob God? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. Now, the word tithe literally means 10%. Tithe, bring 10% of your money into the storehouse that you, there may be food in my house. In 2010, I was a youth pastor at Overlake. 
And we would go on these summer camps every year. And we would go to Wenatchee was where we would go. And we would build camp. And we actually, over the years, would acquired a bunch of equipment. And so we had, like, an entire kitchen. We had a sound system. We had rafts. And we had games. And we had this huge thing. And every time, kind of the week before, we would load up the big moving truck, the humongous one. And then we would take it down to Wenatchee. Well, literally, the morning of camp, I am driving to go, like, head up with the early crew. We're about ready to head on up, and we're going to go build camp for these 200-plus students that are going to come, these junior hires. We're going to have an encounter with Jesus at this camp. And on the way there, I get a phone call from one of the interns, which was Bob at the time. So Bob calls me, and he gives me the wonderful news that the truck is not there. It is not where I parked it last night. We had loaded it up. With all of this stuff, just so that you know, a value of $57,000 was inside of that truck. And we pulled up, and the truck wasn't there. And I obviously had to ask Bob a couple times, are you sure you parked it here? You know? And Bob's like, yes, I parked it there. It is gone. We found out that the truck had been stolen. Right? The morning of camp, we're literally heading up, and the truck is gone. It is not there, and we're not even sure how we're going to do camp. Crazy thing is the story started to spread, and honestly, news reporters came to the church to account for this, and they started asking us, and we're doing interviews, and at the same time, we're all on our phones, and we start calling. God totally came through, and so did other churches. We called other churches. We said, we don't have tents. We need tents. They provided us tents. You know, we don't have a sound system. Can you give us a sound system? People did. We don't have a kitchen. Do you guys have a kitchen? Yes. We don't have a big tent anymore to put people under. Can we get one of those? We literally got everything that we needed within like a half a day, and people brought it to us. Um, we had people go out and buy other things. Um, they never caught the person who it was, right? But I was asked over and over again that week, and every week after that for a long period of time, it was the same joke. It was the same statement, and it was the same question. Who in the world robs a church? Like, what kind of person does that, where they rob and they take away from kids, that they take away from God? And Malachi is saying that we do, is what Malachi is saying. If we are not faithful in giving a tithe, now here's what he's really saying. There is a difference and I'm saying this is a very pastoral moment for you and for us. And here we go. There's a difference between tipping and tithing. And oftentimes, most people to church feel like you are providing me with a service. This is not a service-oriented church. This is a family. And as a family, what we do is we pull in our money so that we can take care of things. That's what God asks us to do. And he's saying that we are to be faithful tithing not tipping. Tipping is impulsive. Tithing is being faithful to be what I would call a percentage giver. And that percentage should at least start at 10%. That's what a tithe is. And you can be generous beyond that part, but that is where God is saying start here. And you're like, of course you're the pastor. You're going to say this. Let me remind you, I don't want anything from you. Okay? I want something for you because look at Lauren's testimony and look at the many testimonies that I've heard of this over years that when we become faithful to giving him and putting God first financially, he will bless us. I want this for you. I want this for our church so that we can be a blessing to those who need. 
And it is so much greater to give than it is to receive. And so that's, what, that's the whole thing here. And so here's a couple, um, here's a couple ways. We've, in nine months, we've not talked about this. And so let me show you the different ways that we have to give here at the church, to be faithful percentage givers. Number one, you could do this online. You can go online. You could write it in there. That's how you can give and donate to the church in that way. There's a big button at arborchurch.com that says give. You just click on that. It'll walk you through the steps. Other way, you could do it the old-fashioned way, which is the envelopes in front of you. You could put cash in there if people actually use cash these days. You could write a check if people actually use checks these days. Um, and you could put it in there, and you can have the luxury and the joy of putting that money and worshiping God in that way when the buckets come across. And if the buckets don't come across, they're back there on the walls. And if they're not back there on the walls, they're on the side when we do other. We make it very difficult for you to find out where you're supposed to put your money, which is probably a bad thing. But... The other way, which we're going to be starting pretty soon, is an opportunity to text to give. And you can give through your phone because oftentimes we don't carry cash. But I think the best way, and I'm going to land on this one, um, is to give automatically. This is my favorite way. And I have questioned whether I should share this or not because it's very personal. But I have felt like one of the things I want this church to be is wide open. And so I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal here. I'm just saying I found this thing and it has made the difference in my life. And so about 15 years ago, um, I switched to automatic giving. And in 15 years, and I've changed churches at times, I've always set this right back up, I have not missed a tithe, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, Jake, you are the man. And you're like, yeah, you're right, you're right, okay? No, that's not it at all. What I'm telling you is I know myself. If I were to have to account for my money each and every week and put it in the offering, I would miss like 51 weeks out of the year, right? And I would, I would not do well at that. And so, yes, I totally miss out on a Sunday morning when the buckets go by and it's an act of worship to put your money in the offering. But I know every time I pass that bucket and somebody looks at me strangely when I put nothing in it, right, and I hand it to someone else, I know that I gave automatically already and that I was already faithful because of the beauty of technology, right? And so I'm throwing that out here. If you've never done that, man, automatic giving is where it's at. And what's even cool is if the church, like if there's snow and nobody comes, like if there's like three flakes and nobody comes, right? <laughs> then people still give automatically. You don't miss out in that opportunity. And so giving is super important on this. And so that's doing it from a place of what we want for you, not what we want from you. All right? Please hear that in sincerity. Here's how I'd like to close. I'd like to close with the second half of that verse number 10 in Malachi. Here's what it says. Again, it's still God, and he's speaking to us. He says this. He says, test me in this, okay? Test me in this. And the question is, um, like, what? Well, it's the giving of our full tithe is what he's talking about here. And what's crazy about this, if you've been in church for a period of time, right? Test me in this. In every other part of the Bible, um, when God says, he says, don't test me in this. Don't test me in that. But it is in this part is the only place in scripture where God says to test him. And he says, says the Lord Almighty, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Friends, this has been true in my life. When you are faithful, Financially speaking, God pours out his blessing. I want this for you. I truly do. I truly do. And remember, this is a, like, this is, it's God's money anyway. We're just holding on to it. We're just moving it around. 
thank goodness he allows us to be able to use a piece of it to be able to survive and to live. But it is his money in the first place. And so to be good stewards, we have to be balanced. And hear me on this. To be balanced, for review, we need to have a proper reference point. Right? We've got to be knowing where our money is going. We've got to track it. We have to have the ability to have course corrections, to constant corrections. This is margin. If I couldn't move, this thing would fall and we'd be out of balance financially. And I need to know what my goal is. So many people think that the goal of money is to save all they can so that they can spend all they can. The goal of money is to honor God with it. That's the goal of life, isn't it? To honor God. And so my hope for you, not what I want from you, but what I want for you, is that we would be financially balanced, not just as individuals, but as a church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.